Welcome to The Cap, where we are here to speak with college reps and other professionals in the field of college admissions to help answer all your questions and guide you through every step of the process. So if you're serious about college admissions, you've come to the right place. Are you ready? Let's talk about it. And now, here's your host, Dr. John Durante. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and I am here to introduce you to college admissions representatives and other professionals in the field of college admissions. Our purpose is to serve you, the students and parents, so that you may gain insight straight from the people who ultimately make the decisions. Regardless of whether you will apply to a particular school being highlighted, you should listen to all of the episodes as each guest will give you tremendous insight and advice on every aspect of the college admissions process, prompting you to come up with your own follow-up questions for when you visit campus or meet with a college admissions representative yourself. Lastly, if you have any questions you'd like me to cover on future episodes or any comments you'd like to share, please email me at collegeadmissionstalk at gmail.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.collegeadmissionstalk.com. So are you ready? Let's talk about it. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you today Jonathan Rice, who's one of the Directors of Admissions at the University of San Francisco. Jonathan, it is great to have you here today. How are you? I'm doing great, John. Thank you so much for having me on The Cap. It's great to be here and excited for the conversation. Well, thank you so much for being here. I'm also excited about the conversation. So why don't we start, Jonathan, by me asking you to just tell us about yourself. How long have you been in admissions and how did you end up in such a position? Absolutely. Oh, well, again, my name is Jonathan Rice. My parents are he, him. Uh, I serve as one of the directors of admission at USF, the University of San Francisco, although I'm originally an East Coaster. For those of you coming from the East Coast, maybe looking to go far away for college, I did it. It was a life-changing decision. Um, I've been in admission at the university for about eight years now. I started off as an admission counselor. Uh, I've worked with students from across the United States and around the world. Um, and today I'm one of the directors, which is amazing to be able to lead our institution and support students in their pathway to higher education. Um, and one of my favorite things is being able to share the USF story and share the possibilities of going out west for college. Well, thank you so much for that intro. We truly appreciate it, Jonathan. And tell me, what is it about the University of San Francisco that makes it so appealing for so many students to want to apply and ultimately attend? For me, I think there are three things that stand out of, of why a student chooses USF, because obviously there are millions of things that make the school special and nuances, but there are three things. Uh, the one that's obvious, we'll just start with it. It's the location, of course. I have to start with that. That's how students find us. Being in the heart of San Francisco, we are in the middle of one of the world's greatest cities. We sit on a 50-acre campus, literally in the exact center of San Francisco. So for those that haven't been there, it's only seven miles across, so we're three and a half miles from downtown. All the kind of big city vibe that you might expect, but also three and a half miles to the beach. And I know that's pretty appealing. Um, but more than that, it's the community of people. I, I always say we draw students in with the city, but it's the group of, of individuals they're going to spend the next four years with. I think students don't always think about who are the people that they're going to interact with and how much they influence their experience in college. We have about 6,000 students. We are the most ethnically diverse college campus in the United States. So no matter your background, you come to USF, you are inevitably going to meet and interact with folks you might never have had connected with had you not come to USF. And vice versa, no matter your background experiences, you're going to find folks that 
share parts of your background and identities. So it creates a really inclusive community that I think is, is truly unique by the numbers. Uh, and then around all of that is our Jesuit tradition and our emphasis on academics to action. There are a lot of places, 4,000 colleges that you can go get an education. Not all of them are going to ask not only how are you educating yourself, but how are you making yourself a better human to serve the world around you? And you see in our focus is this idea of being a traditional liberal arts institution that's having you ask the big questions, the really theoretical questions, but then putting into practice through internships, through opportunities to make it real and to make an impact beyond you know, just the college experience and the bachelor's degree itself. Well, we appreciate that overview. And I know that you mentioned the Jesuit education. Jonathan, can you explain what are the core values and beliefs of a Jesuit education? And I'm sure some of your listeners are even thinking, Jesuit, what is he saying? Jesuit? So a little background. The Jesuits are an order within the Catholic Church, and they're known for sort of two things. The first is education. There are 27 Jesuit Catholic colleges across the United States. They are incredible institutions, all of them. I, I support all of them. Um, what you'll find, though, is that Jesuit education is a little different from even other religious or Catholic-based education um, because it's not about dogma. You'll find Jesuit institutions are particularly welcoming of students from all faith backgrounds. I am not Catholic, and yet my favorite part of USF, if someone was to ask me, was that we're a Jesuit Catholic institution. How's that for being a little weird? Uh, and it's because, <laughs> to your point, the values. There are really two things we ask. So first is, we're going to pull out some Latin, cura personalis, or care for the whole person. So realizing that when you as a student get to college, you're not just a student. You are bringing with, your, with, your, with you uh, your family, your life experiences, your passions outside the classroom. And we believe as a Jesuit institution that you have to grow as a person. I mentioned earlier about being a better human. That's what education should do to make a better society. So not just what are your classes you're taking, but how are you growing in all senses? Um, and then secondly is I think we're rooted as a Jesuit institution in this reality of the 95% and the 5%. What does that mean? There are only 5% of the world that has a college degree. Wow. That's the estimate. Wow. 5%. And so all of our students and, and likely all your listeners are going to be part of that 5%. And that's amazing. Congratulations. Well done. <laughs> but the question we ask as a Jesuit institution is, great, what are you going to do for the 95%? How are you going to take the privilege of your college education to first do well for yourself? Because if you can't do well for yourself, you can't support others. But then how are you going to use it to support the 95% of the world that doesn't have this opportunity? How are you going to make change? And so, as I say, it's not about one specific religious tradition. It's not even about one specific idea of spirituality. It's really thinking about what is your role in the world and how are we as an institution making you a better human who is going to make a difference in the world around you. Well, I really appreciate you sharing those values. And I loved how you talk about only 5% of the people have a college education. And the core value is to talk about how, as one of those 5%, you're going to help the other 95%, which I think is tremendous. So thank you so much for that. And Jonathan, the overall number of applications schools are receiving are on the rise, as we all know, thanks to many schools going test optional and the ease in which they can apply uh, because they use certain things like the common application, for example. So with an increase in applications, Jonathan, how do you determine how many students to accept, waitlist, or even deny when you don't necessarily know how many of these applicants will actually attend 
if they are in fact accepted to the University of San Francisco? Yes, John, it's an uncertain world. Uh, <laughs> obviously, everything around the world right now says it's uncertain. And then you add the whims of 17 or 18-year-olds, and that, that truly becomes difficult. Um, at USF, we're lucky as a mid-selective institution uh, that with a, a relatively medium-sized entering class of about 1,400 first-year students each year, um, that we can be fairly generous. But we're looking at the modeling to give us a sense of who's going to enroll. When I say modeling, past does somewhat tell us about the future. So when you look at the percentage of students that accept our offer each year, it's pretty consistent uh, year to year. You'll see slight fluctuations based on things like pandemics and um, whatnot. But we have a pretty good sense, believe it or not, of, of how many students are coming based on uh, how many students from a particular region tend to come. Let's be honest, if I'm working with a student from New Jersey versus a student in California, that is a typically a lower yield because there are less students who want to make the jump 3,000 miles away than, than maybe 10 miles away. So we're looking at all these different pieces from academic trends to geographic trends to give a sense of how many students are going to yield to the institution. Um, and I, I will be very clear, that doesn't always mean that affects who we admit but it certainly does affect how many students we admit to get to that number, as you mentioned. What's up, podcast friends? I'm happy to share that we've teamed up with Dormco to make your dorm decorating a lot easier. Why Dormco? They offer quality and durability, affordability, and a wide selection for bedding to storage solutions and everything in between for your dorm room. So if you or anyone you know is looking to decorate your dorm, See the affiliate partnership link in the show notes for Dormco, your one stop for stylish, affordable, and quality dorm essentials. Please note that if you make a purchase through any of our affiliate links, the podcast gets a commission, but rest assured that we would only promote products that we believe in and feel would benefit our listeners. Thank you all and best wishes. So let's start talking a little bit about the overall application. Obviously, the transcript is the most important part of the academic portion. Jonathan, can you walk us through what are you looking for? In other words, when you're reviewing an applicant's transcript, what is it that you're looking for to help determine if this student is the right fit for you? I think the baseline to start is I need to see that the student can do the work. I feel like in college admission, we often use very lofty language around reviewing the transcript. Um, and that can be confusing and frightening for students of, of how am I going to be put under a, a microscope or a lens. So I always like to start by saying, I need to see you can do the work. That is baseline. The number one reason admission departments exist is I don't want to admit a student who's going to get here and not be able to succeed. That would be an unethical thing to do. So I'm looking for a student who's taken a four-year college preparatory curriculum um, and there's some standard college prep classes that we're looking for from four years of English, um, three years of math, science, uh, social studies, et cetera. Um, so that's the, the baseline. What I would also say is I am looking for a student to challenge themselves, but I want to be re you know, realistic that that depends on the environment they're in. So when I am looking at a transcript, I'm really always looking at it in comparison to the school that the student is coming from. So I get frequent questions about, do I need to be taking all the APs or all the honors? And I, I say, not really. Um, you do want to take the most challenging curriculum available to you that you can succeed in. But I know that high schools in America are incredibly inequitable. And there are some schools that have, feels like 100 AP courses, and there are schools that are, have none. And we're never going to penalize you for what wasn't available to you. So I always say in this process, when I'm looking at a transcript, it's not you versus other people. It's you versus you. What was available to you at your institution? 
what were the circumstances, particularly the pandemic, right? Some schools were open, some schools were closed, some schools were virtual, some schools were hybrid. And how did you do in that circumstance? Um, for specific majors, there are some cases. So particularly at the University of San Francisco, we have a very strong nursing program that is a direct admission program. And so that program does have some specific requirements. I'm looking for chemistry and lab sciences. But overall, we're looking to see, can you do the work? Have you challenged yourself? And how have you handled your circumstances? Well, again, we appreciate that overview. Thank you so much. And of course, students usually spend at least four years in college. So visiting campus before committing to a school is so important for the student to get a feeling of the campus and surrounding area. Jonathan, when a student comes to campus, what are the areas that they should absolutely visit? And what are some questions they should be asking to help them determine if the school is in fact the right fit for them? So there are really two things that come to mind for me when you're thinking about visiting a campus and, and how to make the most of that experience. The first is visit the neighborhood around the campus, whether you're at the most rural institution in the country or you're at a place like USF or in the heart of the city, at some point you're going to cross the threshold of those gates. And so you want to get a sense for what lies outside the campus because that will impact the community that you're in. And it gives you a sense of what is it like? Does it feel as, as comfortable on the campus as it does off the campus? And particularly for an urban institution, a lot of your experience, I think about this for USF, is going to be in the city. And so you better like that city, not just the beautifully manicured campus that you're on as well. Um, the second thing is you should be talking to students that are not your tour guide. I am, believe it or not, a fairly shy individual. I turn <laughs> on my extroversion for being a college admission counselor. But the best conversations are often with the random student that doesn't work for the admission office. And I would say it's less about an individual question, but rather saying, hi to someone in a dining hall. I'm a visiting student. I'm thinking about your school. How's your experience here? And see what happens. I know it's nerve wracking, but they were all where you were at some point. And they want the right students to be part of their community. So they want to tell you the truth of, is this a place where they love? And they want to give you the sense of, um, are you going to be a good fit here? Because you know, we don't, if you're a student, you don't want someone to come that's not going to be happy there. You want to have someone who's going to join your club or join your organization and, and be part of that community. So those are the two things. Get out of the campus and talk to people that aren't the paid tour guides. As much as I love our tour guides, talk to the <laughs> non-paid students. Well, I think those are great pieces of advice. First of all, in the case of the University of San Francisco, obviously you're located in the magnificent city of San Francisco. But if you don't want to be in a city, then obviously that campus might not be for you. And of course, the other piece of this, rather than only talking to the tour guide, and as you said, you should absolutely speak to them. They are trained to help people. But perhaps equally as important, to speak to other students on campus, perhaps off campus, to get an even better feel of what life on campus is like. And if you're interested, you mentioned some different clubs, but if you're interested in clubs, nowadays it's so easy to go on social media. You know, if there's a crew team yes. or what have you, it's so easy to go on social media to get a feel for what they're doing on a weekly, monthly basis so that you students could get a feel of whether or not the school the activities seem to be the right fit for you. So we appreciate that insight again, Jonathan. Thank you so much. And Jonathan, what are some of the things that the students do to demonstrate their interest in attending the University of San Francisco? And do you track such things as part of your overall college admissions process? So I've got to answer your question with the second, the second half. <laughs> do we track demonstrated interest? And at USF, we do not formally track demonstrated interest 
for the admission process. We certainly track who's going to our events. I know everyone's tired of being on Zoom and we want to know what's worth offering <laughs> on Zoom and what's not. But because we know that most students that aren't listening to the cap don't know to demonstrate interest, the average American high school student has no idea that they need to be emailing colleges. We don't want to create false expectations for them. We want to have an equitable process. And so we do not have students, uh, we do not track them in terms of, of, did you have an interaction with USF? Oh, that's going to help your admission record. Now, that said, you should demonstrate your interest because it's going to help you learn more about the institution. Um, and at our institution, we offer a lot of ways to do so, especially because we know that most students that are looking at USF, um, this year, almost 40% of our students came from outside of California, aren't flying to, to California before they, they get admitted. So they're not necessarily doing an in-person visit. So going to a student panel uh, that we do virtually, I think your point about social media is huge. Follow clubs and organizations on social media. Get outside the ad admission Instagram account and find the student clubs. Uh, the other one I love, I'll just throw it out here, is TikTok. Uh, we're very proud of our TikTok. <laughs> I'm just going to throw it out, at USFCA underscore admission. Make the process fun, and that will help demonstrate your interest. It also helps you learn about the school. But even if you're looking at a school that is demonstrated, that, that does track demonstrated interest, never do it because you're trying to get in. Um, the way you demonstrate interest is by doing the research and attending some events, and that's how you learn about the institution and hopefully figure out, is this the right place for me? Well, those are great pieces of advice. Thank you so much, Jonathan. We appreciate it. And what are the different ways a student may apply to the University of San Francisco? And is there a benefit to applying one way over the other? So at USF, we offer three what we call admission plans or types of admission. Um, the first we offer is early decision. Early decision is binding. And what that means is if you apply to USF and you're admitted, you have to come. So who is this for? Well, one, it's for students who know that USF is absolutely the place they want to be. And we admit that's very few students early on because most 17-year-olds don't know in November of their senior year where they want to be. So I would say one is a student who knows that they want to be at USF. And secondly, it's for a student who's gone through the net price calculator on our website with their family and has determined that we are a comfortable financial fit for them. Because as you may know, and, and as your viewers, your, your listeners may know, if you get admitted for early decision at any institution, you have to accept the financial aid that they offer. And I want to make sure that if you're looking at USF, you are comfortable with what that's going to be. Um, there are some benefits to applying early decision. Early decision students do get uh, priority registration starting this year, as well as a priority housing assignment. Um, but that's really just to honor that, that we were their first choice. Um, it should never be the reason that you apply early decision. Second option is early action. They both have the same deadline, November 1. The benefit of applying er in early action is you find out your decision early. You find out in mid-January, uh, typically. That's the positive. The negative is we don't see your grades from senior year. And so early action is a good choice for students who like where their grades are sitting at the end of their junior year. And they're comfortable with where they're in the process. We know that everyone starts the actual college applications at different points. And then the final option is regular decision. We make our deadline January 15th, not New Year's Eve, January 15th. We're nice. <laughs> uh, we give the decision by mid-March. And this is the majority of our students. And this is a good option if you want a little more time to apply um, and you want to create the most compelling application possible and you want to, us to see your grades from senior year. Pick what makes sense for you. At USF, the admission rate is about the same across our three plans. 
Well, that's great advice and a great overview. And I appreciate the fact that you mentioned the net price calculator, which every college and university is supposed to have a link to on their website. And it's important because a big conversation that students and parents need to have is, is in fact, the cost of colleges. And so the net price calculator will certainly help students and their families determine whether or not the University of San Francisco or the other thousands of colleges and universities throughout the country, whether it's the right fit for them or not. Jonathan, I'm going to have in the show notes the link to the Office of Undergraduate Admissions for the University of San Francisco. If there are any other links that you want me to include, such as your net price calculator or anything else, just share it with me and obviously I'll make it available to the students and their parents. And I also know that the University of San Francisco, like many other schools, and we mentioned it earlier, is in fact test optional. Jonathan, can you share the percentage of students that apply and that are ultimately admitted that did not, in fact, submit their test scores? Yes. The USF went test optional in 2019 before the pandemic. So we were not a pandemic test optional choice. It's something we were thinking about for a long time. And I'm happy to share that this year, 84% of the students that applied to the university applied test optional. And the acceptance rate for those students matched the overall acceptance rates to the institution. So about wow. 70%. Um, so Great. students always ask me, is test optional real? What I say is <laughs> your application is complete when you have your transcript and your application. You have the option to submit scores. But look at the numbers. At USF, it's not going to be defining of your admission. Well, thank you so much for that. We truly appreciate you sharing the data. And of course, the college essay is a big part of the overall application. So Jonathan, what are some examples of college essays that left an impression with you, but for the wrong reasons? And what advice would you share with a prospective student who's getting ready to write his or her college essay? We have seen so many traumatic essays in the past two or so cycles. And the New York Times did a great article about this. I'll see if I can send it to you for the show notes. Um, sure. But about <laughs> students writing about trauma for the sake of trauma because there's be this belief that you need to stand out, that you need to be remembered. And we are all living in traumatic times, or we have been. Trauma for the sake of trauma, and I don't want to out any specific students, but trauma for the sake of trauma that doesn't really tell us anything about you may not be the right thing to do for your college essay. And I'm not saying there aren't tough experiences that, that aren't worth writing about, but the essays that kind of leave a weird impression for me are when students write something very traumatic that's clearly just for the shock factor, and they don't actually tell me anything about you. And that's the second thing when it comes to the advice of, of how do you start forming this, this essay. I get asked all the time, and I'm sure your guests get asked this as well, um, is this a good topic? Is insert topic a good topic? And I sort of want to reframe that for your students. It's not about the topic. It's actually about the way that you use the topic as a vehicle to share your story. So rather than starting with trying to figure out what am I going to write my college essay about, I always ask students to reverse it and answer this question. What do you want us as the college admission office to know about you? You have on the Common App at least 650 words. Be strategic. Start with what are the aspects of your personality, of your character, that you want the college to know about you, and then figure out what topic might be the right vehicle to tell us about those things. And I find that's often a lot easier than getting stuck on, what should my topic be? Well, that's great advice, and I love what you said. In fact, I'm gonna repeat it. It's not about the topic, 
but it's how you use the topic as a vehicle to describe who you are as a person. I really appreciate that, and I want that to sink in for the students and their parents, because you have to look at the overall application as something that has multiple parts. There's the academic, the non-academic part, but the essay is really the one area that you could really let your personality shine through. So if a college admissions representative reads the essay and they don't learn anything new, in other words, you're repeating what's on your activity sheet. Perhaps you're repeating the courses that you took, which of course are on the transcript. Then you really got to go back and think about how to approach the essay. What do you think about what I'm saying, Jonathan? Am I off? Am I right? <laughs> I think it makes sense. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. It's always about how are you thinking about your application as a whole. Um, and this reminds me of the other thing. I think that this is the first time for many of the students out there where you're writing about yourself in a very different way than English class. And that's hard. Um, it's not an easy thing. Um, and it also means that you have to realize this is, even though you're starting to talk about very personal things, maybe it's the first time you've unpacked yourself in writing. Um, right. This is not a diary entry. It is, an app, it is an essay to get yourself into college. And so I always remind students, be a little strategic. You have 650 words to tell us something about you. Right. What do you want us to know? And you get to edit and choose exactly what we know about you. That's a little bit of power. Right. Well, we appreciate that. And of course, a student's activity sheet is another piece of their overall application. So Jonathan, what are the kinds of things that you're looking for beyond the work they did in the classroom? The thing I look for in an activity sheet or, or extracurriculars, uh, I would say, is actually the, the semblance that you have a life outside of the classroom. And I know that seems a little flippant. And I, I say that meaningfully because so many students similar to the essay ask, is this the right activity to be involved in? Am I doing the right thing? And back to that nature of the inequity of high schools across the United States and the inequity of our, our country, the availability of activities really depends on the, where you grew up and, and the community that you're part of um, and your financial situation. So the expectation that I'm going to have the same goals for everyone is not fair. So what I'm looking for is a real picture in my head of, okay, I, I know the students' academics. I know a little bit about their story. What do they do when they're not in the classroom? Um, and so what sticks out for me is depth. I love seeing a student who has committed to something for more than, than, than one semester of, of high school. I want to know something they care about. But I'm really trying to get a mental picture of my head of, okay, you finish school. Where do you go? Is it a job? Jobs are great. That should go on your activity sheet. Um, that is significant responsibility, frankly, much harder than being a club president to, to work a job. Um, are you involved in a club? Are you playing a sport? Are you um, a skateboarder? I just want to get a sense of when you're not in the classroom, what are you doing? And then most importantly to us as a college admission office, what are you going to bring in terms of your personality involvement to our college campus? I'll get a little craven for a second and say that part of the activity sheet is we're trying to figure out who's going to join our clubs, who's going to keep our productions going, who's going to keep our sports teams going. And, and we need you to, to know that. But there's no one size fits all. Everyone is different. And, and that's important for students to know. Well, I totally agree. And I appreciate the fact that you mentioned the job because at your first job, that's where you learn a lot of responsibility, you know, learning how to be on time, how to deal with a supervisor. And if you have a job and you're working five days a week, perhaps that's the reason why you're not part of four, six, eight other clubs in your school. So it's very important, students, for you to explain that 
somewhere in your overall application, whether it's on the activity sheet or as part of your essay. The other thing that I like is that you talk about a student comes to your campus, right? In this case, the University of San Francisco. And obviously, the University of San Francisco is something that's bigger than all of us. But to really demonstrate if, in fact, you are admitted, what's your contribution going to be? Are you a skateboarder? Were you the president of a club? Did you have to go to work because you had to help the family with finances? All of that is very important, and it demonstrates how you're going to contribute to this community that, in this case, we call the University of San Francisco. So I really appreciate your answers, Jonathan. Thank you so much. And Jonathan, once a student commits to a college, how important is it for them to withdraw from other colleges where they may have been accepted? And can you give us some insight into how difficult the process becomes for you in terms of determining how many students to accept or not from your own wait list when you don't have a final number on how many accepted students are actually going to attend? I love this question so much. <laughs> and I want the students out there to take a second and remember that we are all one community in many ways. We are part of this this nation and, and this world. And part of your responsibility in the college process is your responsibility to your fellow students, to your fellow classmates. And that means letting the colleges know of your decision when you have decided. Because yes, it's incredibly important. The more accurate account that we have of who is accepting or declining our offer of admission, the sooner and more accurately we can make decisions on whether we can offer additional spaces. I think about this with our nursing program. I'll go really specific. Nursing at USF is direct entry. And what that means is that if the student gets admitted to the program, they complete everything over the four years. We're guaranteeing all the hospital clinical placements, guaranteeing all the classes, everything. But we are limited by the hospitals because as you know, we're in a pandemic. Hospitals have a limited number of spaces. And so at USF, we typically in my eight years have always had exactly 120 spaces for first year nurses. And so every student that declines that offer, if they've, if they've accepted or if they're debating, that could open a space to someone who dreams of being a healthcare provider. And we would not be able to do that unless you tell us, are you accepting or are you declining? So once you've made that decision, and there's no rush, but once you've made the decision, please let us know. Um, and I would say that's true for my colleagues as well. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that specific to your nursing program. And I hope that the students and parents are listening because it is important if, in fact, you committed to a school to decline all other offers so that they could potentially offer those seats to other deserving students. So thank you again, Jonathan. We really appreciate that. And Jonathan, can you explain what opportunities does the University of San Francisco offer to students that may have had an IEP in high school in terms of helping to ensure that they continue to be successful once on campus. Absolutely. At USF, we believe our job is to meet students where they're at. If we've admitted you to the institution, it's our job to make sure we're giving you the tools to succeed. So at our institution being medium-sized, we are gonna take a tailored approach with every student. Uh, there are two main offices that, that we help with, um, or we have. Uh, the first that I think is pretty unique is our Center for Academic and Student Achievement, or CASA. Uh, we have this center where every single student at the university gets an assigned academic success coach. You keep this coach from the moment you arrive to the moment you graduate. Same person, even if you change majors, you change faculty advisors, your coach stays the same. And I'm going to make a weird comparison here, but they are your primary <laughs> care doctor at the university. And what I mean by that is, let's say something's going on. 
you go to that academic coach as your first line and they can refer you out to all of the specialists across the university. So we know you may come in with that IEP and say, well, I don't know where to go. You go to your academic coach and they can refer you to the other offices. They can be that guide map. So they will connect you with student disability services if you need accommodations. They can connect you with our learning, writing, and speaking centers for tutoring and other academic support. So I love our model because rather than kind of floundering and trying to figure out, well, which office do I talk to? I know the resources are out there. I don't know which one. You go to that academic coach as your primary care kind of person, and they can refer you to the specialist to get the support you need because it's all about making sure that we are meeting you where you're at and supporting you as the individual that you are. Well, we appreciate that. And thank you so much for that overview. And so this has been a phenomenal conversation, Jonathan, but it leads us to our last question, which is, what are your top three pieces of advice that you would give a student and their parents getting ready for the college admissions process? So the first thing, and this goes back to something we talked about earlier with the net price calculator, I'm very mindful that we're recording this episode in an inflationary economy in a very economically unstable time. I think that you need to have the financial conversation now rather than later about what you and your family are willing to pay for college. It always amazes me the number of students who get their financial aid offer, and that's when they start talking about how much money we have to spend on college. That is way too late. So if you are a senior starting this process, if you are a junior, if you are a first-year student, and parents out there too, because I know parents listen to this, I know it's tough. I know it's not fun to talk about money. I'm from a, an East Coast family. We are not big on talking about those things with our kids. <laughs> it's super important because that's going to make the decision later on so much easier. Uh, and I think particularly in the moment we're in where the economy is, is just so all over the place. Um, the second piece of advice I would give is use your past experience to inform where you might thrive later. And what I mean is take a deep dive on yourself as a student. And, and parents, maybe you can help your student with this on where are the places you've thrived in the past and what about those places helped you thrive? And conversely, where are the places that you hated or were not happy? And, and look for that in the colleges that you're looking at. Often we get stuck in rankings, we get stuck in the beautiful pictures, but think about where have you been happy? Um, you know, I came from a, a, a high school that was um, pretty formal. You know, we had a uniform and I ended up at a very, very, a uh, progressive West Coast liberal arts college because I knew I wanted something totally different. So use your past experiences rather than the rankings to inform where you might thrive later. And then my last piece ties a little to that as well. And that is look past the marketing. I know that right now you are all, especially if you're a rising senior or in your senior year, getting hundreds of emails and brochures and texts and every school is beautiful. The sky is always blue. The sun is always <laughs> shining, even if they're not in California. And, uh, you know, there's always smiling students on a quad. And I'll be honest, like, let's just say what it is. Colleges spend a lot of money to make themselves look good. And pretty much every college campus in one way or another has its beautiful spaces. And lots of places will throw out marketing. Like we have small classes. We have a community. That's marketing. It doesn't necessarily mean anything. So look past the marketing and think about, what do I actually want? Who are the students that go there? What's the ethnic breakdown? What majors do they offer? Back to that past experiences, where might you thrive later? But look past the marketing because every school spends a lot of money to make themselves look good. And we all want you. So look beyond that. 
Well, those are tremendous pieces of advice. Jonathan, thank you so much. I am so happy because I know that this conversation is going to help so many students and their parents. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. It was a pleasure to be on The Cap. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please don't forget to tell a friend and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. I am your host, John Durante, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Cap.